friends, interns, geeks, nut jobs, runners, episode 12, 1, 2, 12. We chat with Jacob Puzzi. Jacob is a coach, race director, all around good guy. He and I first met back in 2014 when I reached out to McMillan Coaching Services and uh, got connected with him. I had decided to run my first 100-mile race, Umstead. Check out episode 8, where I chat with Rhonda Hampton, the race director for for Umstead. And I reached out to them so that I could not only receive coaching, but get a better idea of what it takes to train for a 100-mile race. I had raced 50Ks and 50-milers, and saw this as an opportunity to get some tutelage and some guidance, and I was paired with, with Coach Jake. And as you'll hear from Jake, he's got his origin story with running. He starts out very humbly. He never qualified for the Oregon State Track and Field Championships, didn't receive scholarships. He was a walk-on at a junior college, which had a very strong cross-country and track program. And they eventually went on to win back-to-back national junior college um, championships. And from then, he... He kind of shot out like a uh, bullet or like a rocket and um, got into high school coaching, Hawaii and Oregon, and was successful in leading teams to state individual championships and titles and has become a coach, race director, and through Peak Run Performance, his company, he offers individual coaching and they have a series of races that they organize up in Canada. And so, yeah, we get into it and we talk about running, as you would imagine, and uh, this, that, and the other. Uh, the other thing that folks might recognize, or those of you that follow the endurance world, or follow the news in the endurance world, Jacob's brother is Tommy Rives, and many of you know that he had been struggling, or has been struggling with, you know, diagnosis of cancer, and it was a, a challenging year this past year, and we talked a little bit before we got into the conversation, gave me an update and let me know that he's doing doing well. He is getting better, still not out of the woods, but much better than he had been and um, had also made it to Western states to cheer on a lot of his uh, fellow runners and friends and just to get out and, and be amongst us. So it was great to, to hear that update and to see that as well. Uh, a couple more things before we jump into it. We've um, did you run Sunshine Fest 5K that uh, just took place on July 4th here in on St. Simon's Island? Event put on by the Golden Isles Track Club. Shout out to the GITC. Good job on putting that together. Uh, we've got some. We've got some races that we're organizing for the fall under the Oaks, which is a 5K, 10K half marathon. If you haven't registered, I encourage you to do so. It's a great cause for a great school, St. Simon's Christian here on St. Simon's Island. And um, it, it's run, it runs on, or we, we, we organize it, to, and it takes place on Jekyll Island, which is one of the barrier islands off the coast of Georgia. So we'll have more information on a couple other races that we have. Oh, and also, quick shout out to our local cross-country programs, Glen Academy, Brunswick High, Frederica. We talked with all those coaches over the summer and their runners are putting in their summer mileage. You got to put in the miles, kids. 
you got to put in the miles. Practice will start the first week of August, I believe, and competition will begin shortly thereafter. And there is no better time of the year than cross-country season. And we've got uh, a couple meets that we're hosting, a couple big invitationals that we've got uh, under our watch. And so we'll have some updates regarding those so that the community can come out and cheer on our local young Harriers. So I hope everybody's running is going well. It's hot out there. Stay cool. Hydrate. Do your strides. Let's go for a run. So Jacob, is great to see you. Wonderful to connect with you after about several years, even though we've stayed connected over social media. We first connected in 20, hold on, let me see if I got the math correctly, because it was 2014 yeah. when I reached out to Macmillan Coaching Services, and uh, because I, I had um, some might say ex- very positively signed up for my first 100 mile race. And some might say that I'm was a moron for doing that, but uh, <laughs> in my, in, in whatever wisdom you find in signing up for your first 100, um, I reached out to McMillan because I, even though I had been coaching, this was a new distance for me. This was a new discipline. You know, there were a lot of questions that I had. And, um, and so I believe at the time Ian Torrance was either you guys were overseeing the ultra program or he was the director. I don't remember how that was set up. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Greg McMillan had a a lot of coaches, um, at the time and Ian was, was kind of the, the one overseeing the, the trail and ultra running, um, specifically. And, and so I was a coach under, under Ian, but because of my background, I also, you know, it, um, took on other athletes that were co- training for marathons or, uh, and, and I also was the only Spanish speaker on the team. So usually if there was a, a Spanish speaker that people wanted to work with, I was assigned to work with that, um, you know, I don't think I knew that. I think, I mean, later, I think afterwards, yeah. you know, I realized your connection with, you know, Latino community and, and Spanish, but I don't think yeah. I knew that when, it, when we first met. <laughs> I no, think, I, I don't I think, think so either. Gonna... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I, I'm not a great coach in Spanish. It was just, I was the only <laughs> one who could kind of uh, translate. And um, so that, that was one of my roles, but, but yeah, I was, I was under Greg and I was under Ian and, and I, I can't think of, you know, two better uh, people to learn from. I mean, I, I learned a ton. I consider that a, um, an apprenticeship of sorts, Sure. you know, getting, sure. getting to work with them. So it was nice. And then, and then a few years after that, you branched off um, when you, when you then created uh, peak, peak, peak run performance, right? Peak run. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. PRP. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That kind of coincided with the move up to Canada. Um, I moved away from Flagstaff and uh, there was uh, McMillan running was based in Flagstaff at the time. And 
and things still, even though everything we did was online, there was still quite a bit that we did in person as a, as a coaching staff and, sure. and even with um, clinics and things like that. And um, it, it ended up just being kind of cost prohibitive, both for me personally and also sure. <laughs> for me to be going back and forth for sure. all of the in-person um, activities. And so, um, you know, Greg, Kenny, and both gave me their blessing, so to speak. And I mean, one, one thing to Greg's credit that he always said was, you know, at some point I want you to be the, the Greg McMillan of Canada. And I was like, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm Jacob Pusey, but I, you know, I, I don't, I have a weird name. So I, I don't think I'm ever going to call my, my coaching, you know, Pusey running or anything like that. So, so I tried to pick a more generic um, name for peak rep performance. So that's, <laughs> that's where that came from. And, and how many years now has, have, 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 has peak been? Um, I, I think that was in, in 20, I think I, I, I kind of started, um, in, at the end of 2016. Okay. That's probably end of 2016. And then, oh, okay. um, yeah, it incorporated in, in Canada in 2017 or 2018. So, so for a while there, actually I was, I was based, even though I was living in Canada, yeah. I kind of had to do things um, through the U.S. for tax purposes until I was like uh, a resident, a permanent resident in sure. Canada, that kind of thing. So, and you're yeah. a permanent resident now, or do I you am. have a, or do you have dual citizenship? Uh, I'm not a citizen yet. Okay. I'm, I've attended the citizenship ceremonies, and I know that America is. Um, some, I, I know people have the dual yeah. citizenship, but I, yeah. but I know that technically on the passport, it says that you're not supposed to pledge allegiance to any other nation or oh. um, be subject to other rulers. And, and I've attended the citizenship for, um, uh, in, in fact, one of my athletes who's now a coach uh, with me, um, who started around the same time, Eric Reyes, he's, he's okay. from Mexico originally, but he, he became a, a Canadian citizen. And um, so when I attended that ceremony, I was like, man, you got to pledge a lot. Like you, you have to pledge your allegiance to the queen. And, um, that's like the most un-American thing you can do. So I don't, um, I'm still, I'm still contemplating whether I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge that people have the divine right to be royalty and that kind of thing. So. That, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that one in a different podcast. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. It, I, I didn't realize that that would be conflicting, but that would even like arise. And it's like, I, I don't know that I believe that those, that that family has any power. Like, so anyway, it's interesting. So. That's great. Now, how many coaches do you have now currently with peak? Um, I think right now there are four of us currently. Okay. Um, yeah, taking on athletes. Um, yeah, my brother is still on the website, but he okay. currently isn't isn't taking in any athletes. But yeah, I've got uh, Coach Eric Reyes um, okay. and Coach Manu Villaseca and okay. um, Coach Carla Rodriguez, and um, they're all multilingual. And um, I, I've I've been able to work with them as a coach before, and and they're just they, they're students of the sport, and, and they. Um, understand the process and, and, and are able to bring things that I'm not able to bring to sure. certain athletes. And so it's actually really neat. Like, you know, if there are certain athletes that have a specific need that I can't meet, but one of them can, I can just immediately say like, 
hey, you know, <laughs> there's someone who's better qualified in this and who you should work with them. Um, and they're doing a really good job. So. One, yeah, that was one of the cool things I noticed when I was looking at your website is that several, if not all of the coaches are all bilingual or trilingual yeah, in think, some cases. Yeah, yeah. All of us, um, I, I think I'm the least... <laughs> <laughs> um, fluent uh, of the of the coaches. No, really. Um, it, it's well, it, it's pretty incredible. Like the yeah the the breadth of knowledge that that um, that the coaches have. It's really it's 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 fun to, to work with for sure. Well, you know you know you know English, Spanish, and now Canadian. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> if, if 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 at any one point during this during this talk you say a boot. Then... <laughs> You'll know I've been here too long. <laughs> right, right. One of the, one of the, I was talking with, um, with uh, a, a, a local, a local runner triathlete that lives here in Southeast Georgia. And um, one of the questions that often comes up a lot is, should I get a coach? Should I not? What are the benefits? What are the, you know, should I do that? And so, I'm, I, you know, you've been coaching now for, for many years both in person and virtually, you know, what, yeah. like, what's your take on that? Like, what would you say to somebody that's asking, should I get a coach? Should I not get a coach? I, I think it really varies from person to person. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think that it's not just that I don't think I'm like the <laughs> best fit for everyone. I, I, I don't think that everyone has the right mentality or the right approach to have a coach or it depends on what that relationship looks like and, and what that interaction is like uh i know some people definitely prefer the in-person hands-on or or like available 24 7 kind of person and then other people are just looking for a little bit more structure and some accountability and and almost like a consulting relationship mm. they want to be able to throw ideas back and forth so i think it really depends on what what the person is looking for. Um, one of the people that I, that I've worked with recently, uh, um, like I, there was a guy that, that was doing gate analyses, um, in the area and, and actually had developed the technology to do some remote gate analyses and, and his name's Mal Kent. And so he and I have a podcast and he had a podcast. We <laughs> haven't done anything for about a year. Um, and, uh, he, he worked with, I mean, like he, we worked together, like he helped me identify some of my areas of weakness and stuff like that. So even as a coach and coaching for like more than half my life, sure. um, I still, I still have blind spots or I still can't identify everything that I need to work on. And so he has background in strength and conditioning and also in, in gate analysis. And so he was able to help me identify some of those weaknesses and, and, and continue to review my training and say, sure. Hey, looks like you were right on or looks like these shoes aren't helping with the, with this situation. Uh, I, I mean, and that's a very, very precise, um, type of coaching. Um, but yeah, so, so I, I don't think there's a problem with someone like you as a coach reaching out and working with another coach. I, I, I see that quite regularly and sure. I, I commend other coaches for doing that. Um, that being said, sometimes it's actually hard to coach other coaches, um, because, <laughs> It wasn't with you, but like, but some people, um, it, it, I'm not sure if, if it's like they, they want there to be a healthy debate or if it's, mm. if they actually want to know, or if it's like, th there's, there's something to be said for just trusting 
whoever is helping you, you know? Um, and so if, if as a coach or as an athlete, if you feel like you're butting heads or like, you know, trying to like prove each other right or wrong, it's like, this isn't going to go anywhere other than right. just like frustrating both people. So, <laughs> so I, I really do think it, it depends on, on the person. But, sure. 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 Yeah. And in, 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 in your experience and up to this point, what has been the type of like what has been kind of the makeup of the of the person that's coming to you for for coaching you know is it in like you know yeah just like what what's been what's what have, what are you seeing coming through the door oh i mean i probably like you i i, I see quite a variety of um, ages abilities distances that people are training for okay. uh goals um in terms of if I were to say like the ideal athlete to work with, it's, it's not a particularly, it's not necessarily a particular distance that they're training for, or even a particular like aspiration. Like, sure. I don't, it's not that I only want to work with people who finish on sure. the podium. I mean, I finish on podium sometimes and I'm, I'm probably more of a head case than a lot of my <laughs> athletes are. And so like, or a headache or whatever, you know? And so, uh, it, I, 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 what I prefer in an athlete is someone who, um, who respects me and respects my time and, and trusts me and, um, and appreciates that, you know, I'm trying to help, I'm trying to help them maximize their time training so that they get the results that they're sure. looking for, but also avoid injury and, and can fit it in with the rest of their lives. Um, I struggle though, when, when an athlete acts like they're my only athlete, you know, and, and like, and, and wonders why, you know, I haven't responded to the 10th message that they sent me in the last 24 hours within, you know, 30 minutes. And it's like, because you don't pay me enough to be your <laughs> personal coach, you know, like, uh, and, and I, I, I have a life outside of working. Yeah. I mean, I work a lot like yeah. more than most people who, who clock right. into for a nine to five, <laughs> but I'm working around the clock, but I also have kids and I have family and, and I like to run every once in a while too, you know? And so, <laughs> Um, so th th that's probably my, gotcha. I, I, I have a, a I struggle when, when it feels like someone, um, I, I grew up in rural, yeah. yeah, it both wants to monopolize. So I grew up in rural Oregon, part of my life. Um, and mm -hmm. that's where I became a runner. Um, and, and kind of the same part of Oregon where, um, Bill Bowerman is from. And so I think what he would say is, you know, I, I'm, one, you can't coach desire and I'm not going to, I'm not going to warm your, warm your milk and wipe your ass. And that's, <laughs> that's kind of, um, that's still kind of the, I, I try to like not be that guy. And I try to like, I love it. I, no, I, I really do. Like, cause it's like, I, I want to, I, I, I know it's a business, you know, I, I've got to like, Absolutely. you know, like my professional face on and at the same time, I'm like, you're older than me. Like, did you get out of bed this morning? Like, how do you, how have you lived this long? You know, um, like, do you, do you still have someone helping you tie your shoes? And, and, and don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be rude or condescending, but there's some things that it's sort of like, there are just some basic like life skills that sure. people sure. need to have sure. that are sort of prerequisites. And yeah. it's, um, I recognize there's a digital divide and, and all sorts of other things that are, that are barriers, but sometimes it's just like, you've got to want it more than I got to want. It. If I want it more than the athlete, then that's, 
that's not going to end yeah. well uh, yeah. in most cases. And, and neither of us will be happy. Like, so, yeah. Well, you, you, well it's interesting you say that because over the last year with COVID, you kept hearing how people like bike shops couldn't keep up with bikes because people were buying them and they were getting out um, because that was one of the only things you could do. And people were running more and they were getting, you know, people were you know, being more active, which was great. So did you see people reaching out and saying, okay, I've got the time now, you know, here's the goal that I want to achieve. Were you seeing some of that or was it steady? I mean, what, 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 what was, what was, what were, what were you guys seeing? It, it was a mixed bag. I mean, I, okay. I was blown away by how many people were motivated by virtual challenges of, of all kinds. Some of them were like the continuous, like a longitudinal kind of thing, like yeah. cover a certain amount of mileage per week, per month, per, for the whole year. Um, and, and some of the people that I didn't think would, would even stick with me, like <laughs> signed up for every challenge they could find. And and put in the volume, stayed healthy, finished all these races, and, and they were they were motivated by those. And and I thought that they were the, I thought that some of those people were the ones that were motivated more by um, the crowds and and mm-hmm. by the the need to get the bling and be there in person and in, the, in the community. Which I totally get that. That I, I think we all miss that yeah. that part of running, and we were all motivated to be a part of it. So it's it's really been. I mean, if I if I had the time and could be a researcher, I think, I think there's a lot of like psychology that, that could be discovered, like a lot about who who we are and what motivates us just from, you know, who did what over the last 16 months um, as athletes. Um, So yeah, I, I didn't necessarily lose a lot of athletes. Um, Some, some of my athletes lost their jobs or lost Mm -hmm. hours and, 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 um, and I still tried to, you know, do what I could to help them at least stay on track for whatever their next goal was that we were working towards. Um, and, um, but yeah, I, I think the biggest challenge was just that it was like a moving target. Like the races would get canceled and then we'd find the next one. And then it, I think every coach and every race director, and every athlete has dealt with that. Just sort of like, um, okay, I'm just going to try and be fit all the time or, yeah. you know, I'm not going to get my hopes up for this race until like, I get the, the email the night before saying that it's actually going to happen or maybe until I actually put the bib number on and, and I'm there. So was it, yeah. did you find it a, a challenge to, you know, with, with, with the unknown, like when the pandemic first hit, you know, and I remember thinking, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. By June, we'll be back to normal. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By, you know, then, then we weren't, and then it was July. Okay. Okay. These races are going to happen. I think we'll be okay by the fall. And then it was the dominoes just kind of dropping and realizing that there weren't going to be no, there weren't going to be any races. And then, you know, as you talked about virtual, that became, you know, normal and, you know, and, and we were doing more of that in terms of training though, what I'm curious, because this was a conversation that I had many times with my athletes are, were, okay, if we don't have a race, I don't want to do something virtual. What can we do to maintain throughout this kind of unknown? Yeah. And what, what, like, what were you, what, what were you guys doing? Um, there was a lot of, I mean, it, it varied from, from athlete yeah. to athlete in part sure. because the regulations were different mm. from country to country, state to state, you know, province to province. Like some people were literally locked down, including myself, like for, 
for weeks on end, like not able to leave the house, not able to go outside and run. Um, you know, you can only run so many laps around your house. Um, and, and, or, and, and even, even, I mean, I, I've been pretty outspoken about, you know, not, in, not appreciating when people complain about having to run on the treadmill and stuff sure. like that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of done with running on a treadmill when, when it's nice outside and, and you're still stuck on a treadmill. It's like, really, this is, this is a little <laughs> much. Um, and I recognize that's like the epitome of, you know, being entitled and right. um, being privileged, but whatever that, uh, so it, it varied from, from athlete to athlete. And so, you know, there was a lot of hit stuff that we did. Um, coach Manu was really good. She, she's from Brazil and, and like, from my understanding, hit workouts kind of started down in Brazil, or at least that's, that's been a big part of their like athletics tradition from, for a long time, way before they were in Vogue, um, here. Um, she's also, you know, a trained yoga instructor. And so we encouraged people to just, you know, decompress and, and meditate and, you know, get, get and stay healthy. Um, one thing that was actually nice about the pandemic and, and, and especially when people didn't try and compress ever a race every weekend, um, was that we didn't actually have to try and force the fitness. We could just like mm. build a plan that, that wasn't like, okay, can we get three quality days in this week? And, and then like X amount of miles or right, should we right. just shoot for two, you know, like can have two recovery days in between each quality day or, you know, things like that, or even three. Um, I actually saw a lot of people run their best times ever, um, whether that was in a virtual event or a time trial, or I, I mean, it, we began to see it as early as like when Boston was canceled, there were a number of people that were like, you know, I want to do Boston thought they would be doing it until like a month before. And then some of them, even before there were virtual options available, there's like, you know what, I'm in shape. I'm going to go see what I can do. And, and ran like 10 to 30 minute PRs at the marathon. I mean, they'd already qualified for Boston. So it right. wasn't like they were just scratching the surface, but, but I think sometimes just not having that anxiety and the stress of travel and wondering about the weather and stuff like that, there, there, there are some pros to like, kind of going back to the old school try time trial idea of just like, like we did that all the time in high school. We yeah. just throw down, you know, it was like, okay, right. today, today we're running a, a 5k time trial. It was like, Oh, sweet. Right. Don't, don't have to ride a bus. <laughs> just like <laughs> Run around the same streets that we ran around, you know, every, every day. And so uh, it was fun to see that um, happen with, with a lot of athletes. Um, so, so yeah, there was a big emphasis on just kind of, um, playing the long game and, um, and spreading out the, the quality sessions and, sure. and trying to focus more on recovery between runs than, than just compressing, um, what could be a 16 week training plan into eight weeks. Or sure, something like that. Sure. So, no, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think a lot of that anxiety of racing, even though it's exciting, it does have an effect on the athlete and the runner. And by being looser, by yeah. being a little freer with that, you saw people running, you know, faster times, you know, because they didn't have to worry about logistics to a race or getting there at the right time or picking up a packet. And, um, and, and yeah, you, you saw that with people and, and how they ran and, and it was, it was great to see, but I'll tell you, uh, I, I know, <laughs> I know people are anxious and we've already, you know, there's so, so many races going on now that I think, um, that anxiety will be here before you know it if it hasn't gotten here already. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think it, it's on the, 
it's returning. It's going to make return. its way back. But yeah, but but I think people have missed it so much that um, I think in some ways, I, and I think it's a good thing. I think a lot of people have learned to kind of lower their expectations of themselves and others. And I know that sounds like like a really um, soft way of looking at the world, mm -hmm. or or even mm -hmm. like maybe. Um, maybe a wrong way to view sure. the world. But I, I find that when I, when I have no expectations other than I want to see what I can do, I always exceed my expectations. <laughs> and, and, in, and in most cases, um, I exceed most other people's expectations. Like I, the, the times when I've run my best have been when I've gone in just be with, with kind of curiosity and, sure. and just like, Hey, I'm fit. I'm healthy. Let's see what we can do. And then it's like, Whoa, that, that's, nice to know that I wasn't expecting that but almost any time I've gone in with like some time that I have to hit um that either I've imposed on myself or someone else has imposed on me or uh and, and I, I find this with the athletes I coach a little it's not like I don't think goals are worthwhile but I think you know the more we can just focus on what we can control and and then just just trust our training, trust our right. fitness, trust ourselves. Usually good things happen. Well, I think, I think one of the things that's come out of this is, is just how important or just how much the mental game, not that it has, it hasn't been a focus in the past, but just how that mental stress can, can be a heavy weight that we carry through training to a race and how best to, to, to manage that. And that doesn't mean that, <clears throat> you know, we don't sign up for races and just kind of, you know, willy nilly, okay, I'm going to do a time trial, a marathon time trial in, you know, six weeks. But I think there is some, some wisdom in that and that there's, you know, a lot, we put a lot on our, on ourselves that does keep us from maybe performing at, at our best. Um, one of the things I'm curious to ask you, you know, Jacob is, so, you know, the pandemic, a lot of people picked up running, a lot of people are looking at races, things are coming back online and they say, okay, I want to run my first ultra marathon. What, what would be, what would, what would be some of your advice? Of course, or, or, let me, let me give you some, let me give you a, a, some demographics to help kind of guide the conversation. Cause I've gotten that, I've gotten that question before from folks, when would be a good time to start? Um, or what, what, what would be, you know, how can I transition from being a 5k guy or gal to being a 50k or I'm a triathlon or a triathlete and I want to do my first 50 miler and let's do another one. Let's say I've never run anything in my life. I'm a 5k couch to 5k, but this Western States thing I've heard about is kind of cool. And I want to, I want to run that. So pick your poison. What, what would you say? <laughs> Um, I, th I think for all of them, the first question I would ask is why, like what, I, th I think that's important for people to understand like what their motivations are. And it's important for me as a coach to understand what, what is motivating them to want to sure. do something. Um, and then, uh, I think that will also help me understand, you know, how, how long-term is this person thinking mm. and, and my, my goal, my, my approach would more than likely it, for all of them, but specifically for the, the couch to Western and couch to 5k person who <laughs> uh, are 5k to 50k person. Um, I would definitely say, you know, like let's let, let's give it a couple of years, like, right. like, like, 
how, how can we spread this? Like, I'm, I'm not willing to work with someone knowing that like, there's like a 99.99% chance that they're going to get injured mm. if they try and jump. They try to soon. do too much too soon, right? Too much too soon. Yeah. Um, my brother actually um, on the, on our, on the art and science of running podcast, he said something about training that I, that I like um, to think about in, in these terms. He's like, there's no such thing as like a couch to, 5k or a couch to marathon program there's there's like um or a couch to ultra there there's a there's a couch to stress fracture so anytime you try and like <laughs> um try and jump in too much too soon you're, you're something is going to break and and it's it's might start with your ego but it will usually um be a bone or um something in your body and so you you, you need to take the time to allow your body to catch up with your ambitions and and that's just all about base building and so um i think the person that would be least likely to get injured through the process would be the triathlete um and so what i would do with any of them though is to try and find a way to gradually increase their training volume um starting with what they're doing and so if someone comes from a triathlon background i'd probably keep them cycling and swimming as much as possible and then just gradually you know build in some runs and those runs would probably start easy, uh, depending <laughs> on where they're at, you know, and, and put them on dirt if that's where they're, the, what the surface is going to be and that kind of thing. And, and, but it would be the same for the, the 5k to 50k and the, or the up to hundred milers. It's like, I, I would definitely not encourage someone to go to hundred miler ha- having not done a marathon or a 50k or 50 miler or a hundred K. Like I I'd definitely try and encourage them to, at least experience some of that in ideally in a supported race type setting prior to something like the Western States hundred. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. Now do, do, do you, I know you guys organize um, ultras. Do, do you guys have a hundred miler that you guys organize? Um, not, not currently. Um, I have, uh, there's a stage race. That's a, it's oh, a hundred right. miles over five days uh, and a hundred K over three days. Um, and, and we've, we've considered doing, um, some, some hundred milers and things, but, but yeah, there, uh, the market is, is somewhat saturated and, and definitely want to be respectful of other race directors and don't want to step on their toes. And, and those in our area do a really good job. And so it's like, why, why even try and compete when we, we seem to have our own little niche and sure. a good job at it, it, it. Usually the shorter trail distances this is a lot of what we do other than a few standalone events but but not current we don't currently have under my so. sure sure so so going back to the to the training question in terms of ultra so uh let's just keep a range of let's say 50 to 50 mile or to 100k to 100 mile how important is it to incorporate speed work into your training um Theoretically, um, and traditionally, I think it's, it's really important. Mm. Uh, a lot of the people that I work with are middle age or older. Many people have injury histories. And so what that speed work looks like will vary from mm-hmm. person to person and how intense it gets will vary from person to person there. Um, I like to think of it in terms of like the law of diminishing returns. There are some things that we can do in theory that 
that will help you get that extra 1% or that extra, you know, 5% gain. Um, but there's usually a pretty high risk with some of those activities. Sure. And so I, I'm not, I'm not anti-speed work, um, but I, but I think there are ways of incorporating it in a way that can reduce um, the risk of injury um, and, and not only the risk of injury, but not interrupt the rest of the training. Like my goal is to help people be trained sustainably mm -hmm. and consistently. And so if, if by dropping in some epic speed workout in the middle of the week is going to set someone up back like three weeks minimum, <laughs> like just in trying to recover from that and they're sore and stuff like that, it's like that defeated the purpose. But I mean, it, it is beneficial in that it, it can, um, if done correctly, it can improve running economy, which then just helps the runner become more efficient. But, but even the physiological gains, um, in terms of like the cardiovascular system, it's pretty hard to improve VO2 max. Um, it's, it's, it's more fixed than other mm -hmm. things. Um, it, it can move really slightly, but a lot of it is just genetic predisposition, but what, what can be changed is, is aerobic threshold. And so if you can train the stamina and not the speed, you can get a lot faster, um, without risking injury. Because <laughs> um, a lot of the speed, the, the injuries that come along with doing speed potentially um, are, are strained calves and, you know, strained hamstrings and things like that, that, that are just annoying, you know? Um, right. And, and even, even something as simple as maybe plantar fasciitis, like it, just anything that's getting you explosive. And um, so if you can, if you can avoid doing anything, that's just zero to, you know, 100. 10 yeah. 100 or whatever like um on, on the rp scale or whatever like if you can um a lot of my athletes i have them do cut down or progression runs so that they can incorporate their speed but it's like after they're well warmed up and then it's 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 not just like how fast can you run the last 20 seconds of this run it's like how fast can you get and then sustain it for the last 20 30 minutes of the run or at least the last five minutes of the run you know so it's I, it, 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 again, it's, it's all relative. It varies from person to person, but I know for me personally, and a lot of the athletes that I coach, um, especially when we're talking training for something like an ultra marathon, sure. um, it's important, but it's not, it's certainly not the priority. It's not the bread and butter. It's, a it's something to augment, um, judiciously, sure. <laughs> um, the, <laughs> the training. Yeah. Right. So. Right. Right. But I think a lot of folks sometimes will, will look at speed work is, you know, this is going to help me lower my time. This is going to help me, you know, not you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes off. But I like the point that you made that it's about stamina and how that stamina is going to help you. You just have a better experience, not only in your training, but also on race day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And speed work is fun-ish sometimes <laughs> but like it, it hurts too you know so it's like you, why torture yourself it, it, I, I i mean really like the the i in most cases i would say the risks outweigh the rewards mm -hmm. for a lot of the athletes in terms of doing really intense workouts by the time we were talking 
where your goal is to just finish an ultra or like if you're not if you're not aiming to like get on the podium of an ultra and even if you're aiming to get on the podium of an ultra I, i've i've trained for ultras and i've even trained for marathons come depending on the season and where i've been where i haven't incorporated like strides even in like the entire buildup and and run just as well as when i was doing you know multiple speed workouts a week and so like it it, it makes some difference but it um I don't think it's as essential as like the, the long run, obviously, sure, and just the, sure. the, the total weekly volume or the total, you know, block volume. And also just all the other things that you do to avoid getting injured and, and hitting again, even if you're training for marathon pace, run more at marathon pace. Why, why are you worried about running a 5k pace or faster? Right, like, right. like it, you can do it sometimes, but it's like, that shouldn't be the goal of, sure. you know, you want to work out a week. So right. at, at, at times, I mean, it, it varies it, it, different, different phases of the training and stuff like that. But like, I, I, I've seen way too many people like pull something the week of the marathon. Cause they were just like, well, I just wanted to sharpen up. This is part of my taper. We've reduced the volume. So I'm just going to like right. make every day a speed workout. It's like, right. cool. And then you couldn't run the Boston marathon and you just right. dropped 5,000 bucks to do that. <laughs> you know, like that sucks. Right. So, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so, so the, I guess the point or, or kind of the idea is so that folks will appreciate, you know, speed work can mean a lot of different things for, for different distances, you know, like you just pointed out, you know, it's not, if you're training for a marathon, you're not doing crazy, you know, repeats at 5k pace, you know, because that's, you know, like you said, going to set you up for, for injury, but marathon or 50 miler or hundred miler, there is some benefit to doing faster work. Maybe mm-hmm. speed isn't the right word, but faster work, tempo work or threshold work. That's going to not only help your stamina, but also strengthen you because you get some strength from, from, from speed work as well. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but if you think of it in terms of like the ultra pace, like yeah. <laughs> most people's easy runs are faster than their ultra pace. And sure. so even like really sh- uh, short, fast hill repeats and things like that. It's like, they'd certainly like, they can strengthen, they can increase durability if you do them right and and you warm up correctly and you're doing them proper form and, and you're, you're in a position to do them. But how many times does anyone sprint up a hill like at hundred meter pace in an ultra? Like if they're that steep, like they're using their hands, you know, and sometimes like an ice pick and stuff like that. So it's like, you don't need to be like, yeah, running right. that fast all the time. It, 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 obviously, there, there's different there there are different approaches, and, and I mean, it gets into that Malcolm Gladwell um, and um, David Epstein debate um, yeah. of you know like um, what's it called deliberate practice and, sure. and things like sure. that. And so, yeah, there is there is a time for like just breaking things down into those sure. individual components and that will help with form and everything else, which will ultimately help with the skill and the, um, even just the confidence that one feels. And, and, and there might be ways to like make bigger gains by just focusing on those little things. But I, uh, I think a lot of what we gain, especially as ultra marathoners is that authentic 
practice, um, mm. kind of like mm-hmm. learning a foreign language. It's it's not just about conjugating the verbs in a classroom. It's about like being in an environment where people are speaking that language. And so if trail running can be compared to learning a foreign language, like you should spend more time running on the trails yeah, and yeah. get more comfortable running on trails or if ultra running is like that, run a few ultras and you'll figure it out. Kind of thing, so. So I'm glad you you brought that up because here in where 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 I live, the training there's well there are trails but they're all flat. We have a lot of bridges, and That's right. um, yeah, yeah I, I did many many hill hill quote unquote uh, <laughs> workouts on on those bridges. So if somebody like um, somebody that doesn't have that available to them, like what 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 do you recommend to them? You know to help them develop their 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 hill running legs. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I remember that that's, that's how you were getting your hills in, um, on your long runs and, and you were doing hill, like specific hill repeats and that, that was necessary because there is a lot of uphill and downhill. And especially if that's not something you're going to encounter on your easy and long runs sure. without going out of your way, you've got to find a way to do that. Um, I think treadmill hiking is, a, is an option. Um, it's not, fun but it, it's it's uh it's one way of preparing um for that um i i actually find cycling to be a really good way to oh, like okay. to to strengthen uh like riding out of the saddle that that helps um, whether it's on a spin bike or um outdoors um, sure I, you can you can usually go a lot further and see a lot more <laughs> in the same amount of time <laughs> if you're on a bike um and and i it will work the quads in different ways, sure. whether you're seated or standing. Uh, some strength training. Um, I'm. I try not to lift a lot, but I I have a squat rack in my living room, yeah. and um, and uh, I, I try to do like um, use a hex bar and stuff like sure. that to to do deadlifts and, and and squats and things. And you can do a lot with just a kettlebell. Um, yeah, the lunges, like you can do a lunge matrix. So there, there are a lot of different ways to prepare the legs for um, for climbing, ascending and descending, I guess. Um, but yeah, it is, it is hard to, it's hard to beat, like just training on the actual Good course. Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at, at the same time, this is a hard conversation because usually people contact me after they've signed up for a race. <laughs> it's like, hey, I, I live in um, Nebraska. Yeah, or Puerto Rico, and I want to do the Leadville 100. It's like, awesome. Um, <laughs> and, and don't get me wrong, I like I I love working with anyone, but it's like sure. if you're living at sea level and you want to run a mountain 100 that's all above 10,000 feet, like unless you're willing to like invest in other ways to synthetically replicate that, like an altitude tent or even maybe an altitude chamber that you can train inside of or something like that, you're going to have a hard time. Like there's only so much that we can do to help you acclimate for that. Sure. And um, so honestly, I think the, the first thing people should do when they decide to run an ultra is to probably try and do one close to home or, or on terrain that, it, it might look different, but like that is at least similar to the sure. type of like the profile of what you can access. Um, that's, that's how I would do it. Uh, yeah. That's how I think. I know that part of it is just the adventure and the exploration and try to, but if, if you're concerned about performance in any way that, that there, you can only control so many variables. And, and so some of those that you can't control very easily are, 
our altitude invert. And so unless you're unless you want to go out of your way to, like to, to get really creative, um, a parking uh, garage is one way of getting hills sure. as well. Had athletes do that, and also stair stairways. If you ha happen to be um, in a big city with big tall buildings and things like that, but. What, what, yeah, one of my one, one of my high school runners. Uh, this was a couple of years ago. Um, I think it was a particularly like super hot day, just ridiculous. And it was and and she wanted to get some work in, and so they have a two story house. So she just ran up and down her stairs <laughs> to yeah. get in a little bit of a of a hill workout. So if there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, for sure. I, there there definitely is, and I I'm, but I. I mean, you can only, you can only control what you can control. So um, when I, when I was coaching high school cross country, it was challenging because we didn't have like trails and we didn't have um, a lot of options, even though I, we were in Oregon, where we were in Oregon, like, the, the only dirt we could run on was usually like dirt farm roads, but it was all flat as a pancake. And so even oh, wow. like finding hills um, was hard to do. So one thing we did was I just tried to, um, my athletic director was um, kind enough to let me kind of pick our schedule. And so I specifically tried to find as many courses as possible that replicated the state meet course. Yeah. Um, and so it was like, even if we're only going to see hills once a week and they'll be on race day, like over time throughout the course of the year, we'll, we'll get a little bit more acclimated to, to those hills. And sure. we did, you know, we'd get creative and even if it meant that we had to run you know, three miles each way just to get to a hill or something like that, we would, we would do that. Um, but, um, you just, just do what you can do. Um, yeah, yeah. we, we tried to get as fit as we possibly could given like the environment that we had. Sure. So sure. we, we ran a lot on the track or we did a lot of repeats on grass because cross country is usually on grass. And so sure. at a minimum we could, we could get used to running on, on grass. And, and a lot of times the grass that we ran on in races was, you know, groomed and more like a golf course and where sure. we ran was really it was a lot of crab grass and stuff. So it's like, it's always going to be faster on race day because right. not dealing with this stuff. So, so yeah, we tried to do that kind of thing. Now you, you, you mentioned you had a, a, a squat, a squat bar in your living room. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not just the bar. It's the, it's the entire the whole, rack. So, the whole thing. so yeah. So it, it has like a chin up bar and yeah. stuff up above. And so, um, it's partially so that I like see it as I'm walking out the door um, <laughs> and, uh, like remember to do that stuff. It, it, it's just, I, I, I have recurring lower back injuries and sciatica kind of things. And so I, um, but if I engage my glutes and my hamstrings before and after a run, it really helps. And also if I can decompress that pounding that sure. has occurred over 40 years of running um, by doing both pull-ups seem to really help, but also just like hanging there and then doing different things sure. with my knees and things that, that all really helps. So uh, it costs about as much as an inversion table and uh, it's cheap as going to physical therapy. So I was like, yeah, might as well like get strong and feel good. And <laughs> I, I don't really care. It's not like I've had anyone over to my house in the last year and a half. So, <laughs> but, but I was thinking as, as you were talking about that in, in, and also um, with the athletes that you train, do you, are you also uh, writing out weight training plan or suggesting, okay, do, you know, this would be great uh, or beneficial weight training to do to complement the running 
Are yeah. you adding that component as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a couple different routines and, okay. and or kind of things that I add in depending on what the people are training for and, and sure. what kind of experience they have. I, I actually try and avoid because I can't um, be there in person and guide them mm. with their form. I, I try not to do anything too specific to the weight room. Uh, it isn't just body weight. So gotcha. like the goal, the goal, as far as I'm concerned, is is, is foundational and functional strength. And so it's it's learning those motions uh, with body weight and with very gotcha. minimal weight. Um, so it's a lot of yeah body weight type stuff um, before adding weight. And then if someone wants more additional instruction, I, I usually encourage them to. I mean, I, I can say do these things, but you know. <laughs> Go to your local gym and ask a personal trainer or someone to like actually watch your form and make sure you don't get hurt. I I think I mean the literally the Achilles heel of distance runners is just our our propensity to get injured. And so uh, if if I can help people avoid injury by doing by activating certain parts of their body, sure. Usually, usually doesn't require like heavy weight um, it, to avoid like to to get things activated and avoid injury. Um, and then if, if they want to supplement a little bit more, uh, that's, that's, I don't know. It's, it's just too hard to do remotely. Like even, sure, even, sure. even doing it in person, when I, when I did coach high school in person, like I remember what it was like when I was in high school, I was more concerned about, you know, showing off for <laughs> the girls in the class or, or, you know, beating one of the football players, right. baseball players and stuff like that. And so it was like, you're, it, it's hard to, it's hard to actually focus on, on just doing it right. So mirrors help, but yeah. So yeah, I, I do, I do have some suggestions, like some routines, but I, I don't, I don't get into uh, the nitty gritty of, right, of anything right, right. that's additional weight. So. Might be a lot of core push-ups, sit-ups. Yeah. Things that you can do without, without like, like yeah. body weight. Yeah. Lunges, step-ups, yeah. push-ups, pull-ups. Uh, it's it, it, part of it is you know I, I want people I don't want people to have to get a membership to a gym if they don't want to or, or sure. you know not everyone's um, going to want to that has the space or the desire to have a squat rack in their living room um, <laughs> you know that's I, I waited until I was married to do that and, um, and it's still like a sore spot in our um, relationship it's like but maybe you know like. <laughs> My back doesn't hurt, so we're good, you know. So, I don't actually call it baby, but you know. Whatever. Yeah, I got you. I got you. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Nothing says love like a squat rack in the living room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, 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 I work I've, from home, so <laughs> right, right, right. There's been some folks asking about uh, the eighty twenty approach to training, yep. and you know. 20% is, you know, um, high volume or not high volume, but, you know, high intensity, 80% is, you know, more recovery, more, more, more relaxed. What, what's your, what's your take on the 80, 20 approach? Yeah, I, I, I definitely believe it. I, yeah. I believe in it more the older I get. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of times coaches and athletes we complicate things, and so I, I like that just that keeping keeping it simple. 
um, Steven Saylor, the guy who did most of the research that mm-hmm. Matt Fitzgerald used to, yeah. to write the book, A20, um, he, he tweeted a graphic recently of like three, um, three cans of paint. And, and it was, oh, yeah. I, I really liked it. It was like a green can and it was like, you know, 80% of your training should be in, in this can or in this color. And then the other two, I think they were yellow and red. Um, even that, like the, the colors vary from watch to watch and program to program and stuff, but like the yellow and red were like, and these should be the other 20. And, and it was kind of like, and all those other colors that, um, of the rainbow, um, you know, I, I think people, people get caught up in doing kind of too much in that in between sure. uh, the, the recovery and, and rejuvenating aerobic stuff and the anaerobic stuff. And so I think that's where most a lot of overtraining occurs when gotcha. people are trying to run medium efforts every day, like on their easy days. Right. Um, right. And then they're, they're not fresh enough to do the hard days hard and they're not recovering on the days they're supposed to be recovering. So, right. Yeah. Right. Right. You got the body has got to rest. Absolutely. It was interesting. I was listening to a podcast with, um, I think it was Lee Troop. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said something that I thought was really interesting. And it's something that I've been thinking a lot about since he, since I heard him say it, he said, you know, every specifically to kind of speed work, um, in that job, not, not necessarily the easy days, but he said the speed work, it's, you're doing the same workout every time you do it, you're just doing a, a, a variance of it. So for example, if you're doing 12, 400 meter repeats one day, you know, and then the following week, you're going to do six, eight hundreds. And, you know, then, then you're just fearing about that. What, what do you think about that? About yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a really good way to put it. And, and I, it, I feel like it, um, it better explains what I was trying to say. Like I, it's not that I'm opposed to speed work, um, but I, I am opposed to people just randomly like, oh, I read about this in Runner's World. Yeah, I saw this, yeah. this pro athlete do this online and, and I'm, I'm still in that couch to 5K build. And yeah. so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go try and do 12, 1200s on the track because I just saw, you know, someone that's a pro do this. It's yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I'm going to do it. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so it's all, it's all relative. And so it does need to be contextualized and and like, and tailored to the the individuals. So, um, and so even that same individual would would be doing something to stress their body at the level that they need to be stressed. And then you'll, you'll continue to vary that and build on that, but it's probably not ever going to look like what another runner's training is going to do. I mean, even, even when I was coaching, athletes like like the same team yeah. it was uh, you know 100 different kids and so, sometimes even even kids that were like in the same like top five or top seven that, mm-hmm. that could run very comparable times on race day sometimes they didn't do the exact same workout on our track workout day and, and that some people were like why would you have them do different things it was like because this kid responds better than this and this kid right. responds better than that or and also like you know i don't want to break this kid physically, but I also don't want to break him down mentally. And so it's like, Hey, you know, can you, can you do this with this group for before the 400s? And then I'm going to have you go do 200s after that. And the rest of you, you know, we're going to do a few more 400s, but, sure. um, I, I, it's speed is speed. You're, sure, you're, sure. It's just a variation on it. But, um, I actually really like 
how malleable it can be um, if you mm-hmm. if you understand what your what your goal is. If, but if if the goal is simply I'm doing it because someone else did, <laughs> that's that's not an, enough um, information um, right. to go off of. You need to know where you're at and what you know your overall objective is and how this will fit in with the rest of the, the training. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I just think that 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 it's one of those those pieces of training that that. I think not, not that it makes our job a lot easier, but it, 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 it helps to, to when you, when, when you, like you said, when you've got a hundred different athletes or a hundred different kids, or depending on, on who you're training with, there's different ways that you can approach it based on their strengths or their weaknesses, depending on, on where they're at and where they're coming at it. And, yeah. and that, you know, the, uh, obviously the job of the coach is to be um, aware of, mm-hmm what that person is giving back to you so that you can obviously make the adjustments that are necessary for them to be, you know, a successful runner. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And I hope I haven't, I haven't communicated that I, that I don't think that speed work or hill repeats or anything like that, that, that they're breaking news. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it was, it was more just that um, those are usually the things that people see as sexy and the things people kind of get hung up on and excited about and, um, put all a, a lot of emphasis on and, and either want to do more of them than, than they need to do or um, or kind of like we, we talked about before they're not they're not seeing the value in the, the boring like just the, 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 the easy stuff which is 80% of their training the, right, the recovery right. runs the just the aerobic based type runs and even just in the long run it's you know, all a conversational pace like a lot of times people feel like you know, they need to mix it up more and, and, and the gains will be made by and large with those just consistently putting in the, the, the comfortable runs right, right. Um, and then, and then strategically doing, the, you know, only no more than 20% of the time right, right, right. doing something at higher intensity. And so that, that was the main thing that I was trying to say. It was just like, you don't, if you've got seven workouts that you can do in a week, you don't want five of them to be speed work. <laughs> <laughs> one of them could be right. speed work, you know, right. or maybe, maybe two, like if you're fit and you know, that's where you're at, but, but you don't need to, it doesn't even need to be 50, 50, cause that's, that's not 50%. That's right. or that, right. that, that's not 20%. That's 50%. So, yeah. I think what's, what's fascinating now and, you know, it's only been, I don't know, maybe the last three or four years that I've been more active on the running side with social media and as, as, as you know, there's a lot of information out there. And I was thinking back to when I was high school, even, even, you know, around college, even post post-collegiate, I mean, social media wasn't a thing. I mean, my information came from runner's world. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, there was, I think trail running was, was coming out. There was another magazine or run other running magazine. times. maybe Times. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, I really like that one. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. That was one that was one that gave you, you know, just more of the science of running and you know, runners will kind of try to do a balance of, you know, you know, just a different I uh, can't think of the word, but you know, the piece, the profiles and runners and you yeah. know, the products and all those things which, you know, we're all we're all are all wonderful, but now, you know, every runner, every coach, every, you know, all that information is out there and it's just like this this deluge of information i mean what what do you think about that um i mean 
I think it's like everything else. There's, yeah. there's information overload. And so, oh God, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't think information is a bad thing, but I, I, I think it's like anything else. Like I try and teach my kids, you know, um, if, if they come to me with something that's newsworthy, you know, it's yeah. like, well, you know, what's the source and right. determine, you know, is that actually even real? Um, is it something you need to be worried about? Uh, and the sad part is, yeah, even, even the news is sensationalized and stuff like that. So, so that's, sure. that's hard to, hard to, you know, differentiate from uh, fact and fiction, but um, I, I think it's the same with training yeah. is like, you know, it's not that someone has to have like a PhD in training theory in order to like know what they're doing, but at the same time, like try and get a sense of who, who's the one sharing the information. And, and to be honest, sometimes even athletes that are mm-hmm. posting stuff don't even know what they're talking about. <laughs> like they may be doing the workouts, but they don't even know right. why they're doing the workouts. Right. So, um, yeah, I would just be say, you know, as my mom always says, use some discretion. Um, <laughs> So amen to yeah. that. Yeah. We're getting close to an hour, Jacob, and I don't want to keep you too yeah. much longer, but, but maybe, um, talk about what you guys have coming up. Um, now that we're, it seems like we're coming out of this pandemic. What, what are you guys working on in term at over at PRP? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've got athletes training for all sorts of different things. Um, some people are excited about the the fall Boston Marathon. Like if, if we there are. ever, yeah, <laughs> if there were ever a year that a Canadian should train for Boston, it, it would be this year because it's like, oh, cool, you don't actually have to train for six months in the yeah. snow. Um, I, um, so I'm excited to work with some of those athletes because Boston is just such a cool place, and I think doing it in the fall would be a lot of fun. Um, are you, are you running it this this in the in the fall? No, I, I was too late to, I, I, I wish I were. Yeah. I mean, it, it would be the perfect time. Um, and I, I actually, the new area where we live, there's a road that would be like, I, I run it almost every day and it's like the perfect place to train for Boston. It's just a rolling oh, nice. six mile dirt road. And so I go out and back on it each way. And it's like yeah. e- easy 12 miles, but you're like never flat. You're, flat. It's, yeah. you're just rolling the whole time, but it's, it's fun. Um, so yeah, at some point I want to do it um boston again but uh for my athletes um yeah that's that's one thing um a lot of people are training for ultras or stage races um and and some you know are are, uh, gearing up to kind of mixing it up like saying hey you know i've been doing these longer races i want to i want to see how fast i can run a 5k or how fast i can run a 10k so there's a lot going on uh for me personally um I, I don't know what's going to happen. Like I am currently in quarantine and I hope this is the last time I have to quarantine. Yeah. Um, but that definitely messes up my sleep and my, um, my training overall. And so, you know, I, I like I said, I, I try to have really low expectations of myself at least for, for running. And so I've intentionally not put anything out there that's just going to like add stress to my life sure. um, about things that, I can't control. So, uh, I tentatively have like, I'd like to run something in the fall if, if I don't ever have to quarantine again between now and then. Um, and we'll see how that goes. Um, and then 
yeah, as far as race directing goes, I, I just had to cancel the Trans Helcrux run today. Oh, uh, that, no. was the, that was announced. So that was scheduled for mid-August and uh, the US-Canada border is still not open. And there's, you know, there's speculation, but there's nothing definitive as to if and when that's going to happen and, and what that's going to look like. Um, and, you know, like 60% of our participants are from outside of Canada. So we can't put on an event with yeah. 40% of the registered participants. Um, and, and even some of the permitting agencies are saying, you know, we just, with so much uncertainty, we're just going to not allow events this year, even if, wow. you know, the government says you can. So, so that was hard, uh, yeah. you know, trying to come up with contingency plans and figure out what options we had if working around different, like gathering size restrictions and stuff and looking for different venues. And, and eventually it was just kind of like, you know, that there's too much that's out of our control that we can't like we can't offer the same product sure. to people um signed up for it and actually i think we had to schedule or cancel i think about 12 of the 25 uh five weeks running races um so we're getting close to halfway point and it's looking like we might be able to potentially have a couple next month in certain provinces sure. but even that is still touch and go like we're still waiting on vaccination numbers going up and icu numbers going down and yeah government saying you're good to go but still that's still there's still a lot of moving parts so yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to not having to email cancellation emails and mm. explaining how how people can do their event virtually and upload yeah. their results and that kind of stuff so Wow. Well, yeah. yeah, I hope, I hope that turns around and I hope you're not, you're, you're not having to cancel. I mean, I know, I know, def, you know, the race industry or running race industry is, you know, was hit hard as, as were several others, but I mean, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I hope it turns around. I hope, I hope the yeah. vaccination numbers go up and the cases go down. So. Yeah. Thank you. We're hopeful. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, make the most of it, try and still yeah. provide positive experiences in however way we can and keep the community going. Um, but it's, I mean, I don't know of many, many businesses that can, that can function for three, three years off of one year's, like half revenue. of a year's revenue yeah. kind of thing. It's not even a full year's revenue because we didn't get to like have it open. So it's, it's getting pretty lean these days. <laughs> so under under normal circumstances, you guys are are organizing twenty five events throughout the year. Yeah, twenty five to thirty okay. events. Um, yeah, I mean it's a it's a lot of it, it through different organizations sure, and, sure. and right, names right. and stuff like that. So so we've created a few new ones through right. this pandemic um, virtual events, but then we um, yeah we typically have um, yeah, about twenty five. Gotcha. events throughout Canada and then the stage race and then a, another half marathon marathon. That's just a standalone one. Gotcha. So lots of, lots of different options. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Well, like I said, I hope, I hope those options stay um, viable. You know, well, what, what is left on your calendar is remains viable as you, as, as we, you know, move into the second half of the year. Yeah, thank um, you. Well, let me see. I think that was, oh, I know. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, let's end on this one. I was, I was, I was refreshing my memory um, regarding some of your running exploits. And in one of your bios, 
it says that you entered, I think it was your first ultra or was it first 50K? I don't remember. You, well, you'll be able to tell me. And that you accidentally won it. How do you accidentally uh, win a race? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I had been, um, I had been trying to figure out how to avoid bonking okay. um, on in the marathon. So I would get to that 18 to 20 mile mark or like get to two hours or whatever. And, and it like it, inevitably the wheels just came off and I okay. just death marched in. And so I, I, I actually heard a podcast with, with Greg McMillan, who okay. eventually became my, my, my employer and sure. mentor. Uh, and then uh, Brett Gocher, who oh, was yeah. running for him. And he, I think he debuted at like 210 or something like that okay. in, in the use of marathon. So I was yeah. like, okay, these are good guys to listen to. They know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and they talked about doing a long run that actually exceeded the, dis the marathon distance. And, um, and they were, I think doing some 28 miler sort of like three hour long runs, even though, you know, it was a 210 marathoner. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I was like, Oh yeah, well, that's probably part of the problem. Cause I'm only running up to like two hours in my, like my longest long run. And that's not even that often. So I made a goal of just trying to like improve my long runs and, um, and so I started setting fuel out uh, along the way. This was before at least I was aware of handhelds and yeah, packs yeah. and stuff. And I, and I didn't want to carry that stuff. I wanted to run my goal pace. So anyway, I was setting stuff out and I, like, I, I would get to a certain place and it'd be gone. Or I, I actually saw a guy riding his bike with my water bottle riding towards me once. Um, and I was just like, dude, it's like over hundred degrees out here. Like I'm dying. I'm literally going to die if you keep taking my fuel. Uh, or they, you know, there'd be like, swarms of bees and ants and stuff like that on yeah. it. It was like, ah. So I, I read about this, uh, 50k race and it's like, okay, that's, that's like, I could, that, sure. I'll, I'll sign up for that. And it's going to be supported. There's aid stations. So I don't have to carry anything. I can just yeah. like, get my gels and stuff. So I signed up for it. And then, uh, I, I got to the start and it was like, you know, um, the roads were icy and it was backcountry and Google didn't take me right to the start and stuff like that. So I literally like rolled up to the start and then like stood in line at the porta body was actually in the porta body with my pants on well, <laughs> down around my knees and ankles. Um, and when I heard the gun go off, I was like, Oh man, like, I, I don't even know if I had my VIP number on, but I was like, I was still like trying to right, right, get, ready. get ready to race, you know? And, and then like, I, so I'm wearing these layers, pants and a jacket and all this stuff. And then like finish doing what I'm doing in the porta potty. And then I just start, going after the, the pack. Um, yeah. and I came through and ditched some clothes and stuff like that. And, um, both because I'd never run an ultra and I didn't really even know the course other than it was supposed to circumnavigate a lake twice. Um, but it kind of popped in and out of trails and sure. stuff like that and aid stations. I never navigated a trail aid station. Um, I didn't, I didn't know if, or I didn't know who the leaders were okay. or, or when I took the lead or lost the lead or regained the lead. And anyway, I finished and, um, they said I won. So, um, <laughs> it was cool. Um, and, and, it, and the cool part was like, I, uh, one of the guys that was there was Scott Jaime, who was like the, the team captain for pro Lazumi and he's like oh, yeah. placed top 10 at hard rock and stuff like that. And, and um, I, I finished ahead of him, and and shortly thereafter, he was like, "Hey, do you want to run for Pearl Zoom?" And he was like, 
uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to run for Pearl Zooming. Um, what there's there's such thing as trail shoes, and um, and uh, and at that time, Pearl Zumi had. I mean, it was like the who's who. Timmy Olsen was on the team. Yeah, Paul yeah, Paul I remember was on the yeah. team. Yeah, um, uh, it was it was a really strong team, um, and I was like fanboying out over I, I, I initially I didn't even know who they were because I didn't even know that ultra running was a sport but then as I started like I was like so this is a cool sport yeah. and I started reading about it and I'm like these are like all like the really good people and yeah. um and they I got to be teammates with them for I think a year um, oh, and then cool. they, yeah so so it, it opened some doors and, and yeah that kind of gave me a lot of opportunities to that's great just for accidentally winning a race so and which 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 race was it uh, it was called the Hag Lake uh, Mud Runner 50K. Okay. Yeah, so it's a it's kind of a, an early season. It's a mid President's Day weekend in mm-hmm. uh, outside of Portland, um, oh, okay, in uh, in Oregon. And so it's still like sometimes there's snow on the course and it's always muddy because the Pacific Northwest just gets a lot of precipitation during the yeah. winter. And so yeah. it's a it's not terribly fast, but um, it it's muddy. So. <laughs> fantastic well yeah. if, if if there ever was an accident to have that's a good accident to to, to have to endure well jacob yeah. again thanks again for connecting I, I hope the quarantine ends soon and that you know life goes back to normal i really appreciate you being on and uh you know catching up and uh talking what all us running geeks want to talk about <laughs> yeah no thanks for reaching out it's really good to reconnect yeah